Sigma Chi International Fraternity proudly presents the honor of significant SIG to brother Sean Payton, Ada Moo, Eastern Illinois, 1987. In recognition of his career in professional and collegiate football, Sigma Chi salutes Peyton, head coach of the New Orleans Saints. I'd further like to add that brother uh, Peyton joins uh, other uh, significant SIG NFL coaches such as Mike Holmgren, Mike Ditka, uh, Hank Stram, uh, and Cliff King Kingsbury here, really? okay, who is yeah. uh, Sigma Chi, and now Sean Payton. Brother Payton. Thank you very Thank much. You. It's an honor. Appreciate you. Um, I appreciate uh, everyone involved in the, uh, in the effort to present this award. Uh, sometimes it's difficult, and there's a lot of travel and, and a lot of planning, but uh, the company uh, of the mentioned prior Sigma Chi's Coaches, uh, here I am for my 14th year having a chance to coach Drew Brees, who's another Sigma Chi. Um, the brotherhood is uh, is alive and well. Um, and again, it's humbling and uh, a great honor. So I, I appreciate it. I appreciate this uh, this award and, uh, and the memories such as Mark Dalton, who was in my pledge class all the way back uh, at uh, Charleston, Illinois. And uh, those friendships will last a lifetime. And it's great to, uh, to hear of and keep up to speed with uh, how everyone's doing, and then especially our peers uh, in this league. So thank you very much, and uh, I appreciate it. Oxford, Ohio, to one of the largest Greek letter organizations in the world, we are Sigma Chi, and this is the Sigma Chi Podcast with Wes Holsclaw. Welcome to the Sigma Chi Podcast. I'm your host, Wes Holtzclaw. That special introduction took place in Louisiana this past September as Grand Consul Steve Schuyler presented New Orleans Saints head coach Sean Payton with a significant SIG award. Um, we were able to meet with Coach Payton and catch the Saints' final walkthrough practice ahead of their Monday night football opener with the Houston Texans. At the time of my interview with Coach, the season opener was on the horizon, and we spoke about that preparation, his Sigma Chi experience, and his relationship with two other Sigma Chi's, quarterback Drew Brees and Chicago Bears general manager Ryan Pace, who worked under Peyton and Mickey Loomis in New Orleans. Speaking of Peyton and Pace, their stories, which I was honored to write, are both featured in the newest edition of the magazine of Sigma Chi, arriving in mailboxes as we speak. I hope each of you enjoy reading both of those articles this month. Uh, they were fun to write, and it was a great opportunity to to be able to to meet and speak with both of these great Sigma guys. This, the first of two podcasts this month, features my full interview with Peyton, as well as an in-depth conversation with best-selling author and significant Sig Michael Connolly. Connolly's characters have been portrayed by the likes of Clint Eastwood and Matthew McConaughey in film, and currently in the popular television series Bosch on Amazon Prime. 
His most recent novel, The Night Fire, which was released on October 22nd, features two of his three main characters, Harry Bosch and Renee Ballard. It is already the number one combined print and ebook fiction and hardcover fiction bestseller on the New York Times bestseller list. Barnes & Noble and Amazon charts, he is number one on both of those at the time of this podcast. Really cool to be able to sit down with, with Mike Connolly and talk to him. Before we begin the podcast with Coach Sean Payton, a man who needs zero introduction, a quick word from our new Sigma Chi store. This month, the Sigma Chi store unveiled its new fall line with items from the North Face, Carhartt, and Columbia. For a limited time only, enjoy free shipping on your order with the code PODCAST. Again, use the code PODCAST and you'll receive free shipping from the Sigma Chi store. Created by brothers for brothers, the new Sigma Chi store is your one-stop shop for exclusive premium Sigma Chi apparel for both actives and alumni. Our dedicated team will help you build the perfect design for recruitment, intramurals, and all special events, including derby days. Get official Sigma Chi gear straight from the source. Visit store.sigmachi.org today. Sean, can you walk me through your introduction to Sigma Chi at Eastern? Yeah, um, I can remember it pretty clearly. Uh, I, I didn't pledge my freshman year. I, w I was, I believe, a redshirt sophomore in football and met a bunch of good friends um, during those early years at Eastern, and a handful of them were already Sigma Chi's. And so it was, uh, it was through the relationships of some other people that... Um, that I was introduced uh, to that fraternity, and uh, and I really enjoyed their company, and, and they were guys that were a lot like me. Um, so there, a lot, you know, that was the beginning uh, for me, and it was, um, you know, being a part of athletics is one thing, but it was a, just another. It was another group. Uh, a lot of us were from the Chicagoland area. You know, Eastern is in Charleston, Illinois, which is. Kind of almost right in the middle of the, the state, and uh, to this day, there many of them remain for me great friends. What was it like at the time balancing wearing the eighteen and leading the team on the gridiron, and then being active fraternity man in Sigma Chi? Yeah, I, look, I think that um, as as we get a little older and past our freshman year, sophomore year in college, I think you learn to do a better job with your time. Um, you learn to prioritize what's important. And, uh, you know, it was, it was just really man managing the schedule, um, what, what the responsibilities were first as a student there, and then also as a student athlete, and then someone that was involved in a fraternity. And, and um, you know, I think it was more just, just having a plan. Uh, I, don't, I don't recall it being stressful. Um, I recall it being really, uh, enjoyable and obviously you're busy but in a good way can you walk me through the way sigma chi has had an impact on your life in general yeah i think look the process was was very important to me um you know the brotherhood and the friendships uh at, at i would say looking back now at an early age back then you wouldn't say an early age you'd be like i'm you know i'm already grown up but uh you know we were all young men that were finding our way and had a lot in common, you know, that 
at that time, many of us maybe weren't sure what we were going to do for a living. You know, we were in college. We knew we were going to graduate. Um, and I think that uh, to this day, you, you meet other individuals that went through the same uh, process. Uh, you know, here I am coaching on my 14th year here and working directly with Drew Brees, who's a Sigma Chi. Um, but I think more importantly, it's 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 still a people uh, it's still a people thing. And anything any group worth its salt, uh, it's about relationships and it's about uh, the people that make up that group. And I think that's for me what stood out. Well, to kind of segue from that question, uh, Brother Scholar mentioned it earlier, but going all the way back to the beginning of football, when our 150th year this year. Fielding Yost, Clark Shaughnessy, Hank Stram, Johnny Majors, Woody Hayes, John Robinson, Dick Holmgren, today Urban Meyer, Cliff Kingsbury, and yourself. All of you have this common bond in Sigma Chi and also being successful coaches. What is it you think about the Sigma Chi experience that has contributed to all of your guys and your leadership styles and the success of leading a team of men on the gridiron? Man, that's a great question. Um, and you learn you learn things. I, I wasn't aware of the whole group in its entirety, but um, look, we're being taught at a young age certain leadership skills that we don't know when we're going to apply them, um, and to what group of people we're going to apply them to. But I, the job I have here is is easiest to describe as a teacher, and I believe that with all my heart. We're teachers. Um, you know, each night we're putting together a lesson plan. Uh, the more effective teachers generally communicate more effectively. Um, we're in the passion business. I think uh, there's not a thing that's ever been accomplished without passion and enthusiasm. And I think that uh, that's the business we're in. So um, to, to hear that list uh, is rather impressive. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, of course, an honor to be in that group because those are some excellent teachers. This is going to be kind of a little bit of a lengthier question, but one of the biggest changes to Sigma Chi today is our transformational leadership policy. And I was writing these questions out. You know, when I think about transformational leadership in football, the post-Katrina turnaround of this organization um, into a perennial playoff contender, Super Bowl champion, that you know obviously immediately comes to mind. Um, to you, what were the biggest keys to this, and how was how was your leadership style kind of amplified over the years here? Yeah, I, I would say this. Um, I was hired in 2006, three and a half months, four months after Katrina. Uh, and so the, the 05 season, I was with the Cowboys, and you know all of us from afar paid attention to, to the devastation that took place uh, during that hurricane. Um, not in a million years did I think all of a sudden I'd be flying in, interviewing for a position here and then getting hired. I would say our 06 season was was more important than our Super Bowl season of 09 because at that time, you know, there was a question mark relative to the schools, the hospitals. Um, you were waiting in line for prescription medication. Uh, I can recall waiting in line two and a half hours for some moxicillin for my daughter. Uh, so there was there were there were a lot of things at stake, far more important than football. Um, but I also recall the, the turnout and the fan support, and we kept winning and kept winning in. Uh, the, the thousands of people at the airport when we would fly home from an away game for three hours, it, it was a place for them to go away from, you know, the blue tarp roofs and the insurance challenges they had and uh, their everyday challenges. 
Um, so that 06 team and that 06 experience of us getting all the way to the NFC championship game, um, I said it a million times, you know, we, we all took this job because we're in the football business, but it was, it was far bigger than football that year. And it was the first time I felt, and I'd been an assistant coach prior to that for, you know, almost 17 years. It was the first time I felt like, man, this job, um, can in fact at times be much bigger than football. And, and, and I, I experienced that in 2006. Obviously you're talking about Drew, big piece of this team. Uh, what has he meant to you personally and uh, how's his leadership on the field helped further the team's success? Well, it's, it's, it's been uh, fantastic. You know, he became available uh, shoot, shortly after I got here, you know, when the Chargers released him, he was injured at the time. Um, he's a tremendous leader. He's a tremendous and tireless worker. And I would say there is that pressure um, or expectation even as a coach to uh, keep up with and provide him the things he needs to can constantly grow. You know, he's very meticulous. And so uh, each day you come to work with the idea, man, we've got like elite athletes like him that um, that we're going to train and prepare to play a game with. And so part of it is doing your job and, and, and handling your responsibility and keeping up with everyone else. Um, and that's when you all of a sudden start achieving great things. Um, he's someone that's got tremendous respect in the locker room. He's a great communicator. Uh, he's a terrific husband and father. Um, you know, it's an honor to work with him and coach him. And, uh, and to, you know, I don't, people will ask, do you see age? We've been together this long and, and we really don't, I don't, until I see his children or until he sees my children. And that's the first sign that, you know, uh, it's been a while. Uh, Character-based recruitment, it's another major emphasis for sure. Steve McKay's, you know, in your role, um, how important is character-based assessment in building a team? It's our number one, our number one factor in the draft and in free agency. Um, you know, the CTI score, character, toughness, and intelligence uh, is something that, that that we place a high value on. You know, we're in a city that can that can have a lot of distractions, and yet uh, we don't have many. Um, we've got guys that uh, are responsible. We've got guys that <clears throat> put the team first and, and football first and their families first. Um, so we don't find ourselves in compromising positions because of our initial mission statement relative to what we're looking to assemble as, as, as a team and as players. I got two more for you. Um, we were talking about Ryan Pace earlier, another Eastern Illinois SIG. Uh, he spent some time with you here and he really talked to us uh, when we met, met with him and talked to him earlier in the summer. He talked about the leadership lessons and mentorship from you and Mickey and um, and as a coach and as someone who's like, you've learned from guys like Bill Parcells over the years. Sure. What's it mean to be a mentor today? You know, uh, you take you take it very seriously. Um, you think it's, I think it's a great responsibility. And then there are times where you don't realize you're even doing doing it. In other words, years later, Ryan or someone might bring up something in a meeting, and, and it, you'll just realize the power of the position you hold. Um, we had a great working relationship. He, he was a big part of our success. Um, you know, having had a chance, I'm sure when you interviewed him, you you, you get a great feel for, uh, you know, his humbleness, his poise. Uh, he 
he wears well in the building, and, and we're not surprised at all to see him having success now in Chicago. Uh, but he was fun to work with, and uh, and again, it, I think it's it's for us. Coaches that leave here, administrators that leave here and go on to hold higher positions, it, it just uh, reinforces the, the path that we're on, that we're hiring the right people. Lastly, coming off of last year's NFC title game, expectations obviously high for this team um, in the opener. What goes through your mind as you approach to the official start of the season tomorrow night? Excitement. Um, one thing about the start of an NFL season, you know, throughout the offseason, you're preparing and the other 31 teams are. And then you get into training camp and you're preparing and the other 31 teams are. And yet you don't really have a measure as to where everyone's like how everyone's running this race at that moment. And then very quickly, when we start this season in the first two or three weeks, uh, you get a handful, you get more information. And then quite honestly, the second thing that goes through my mind is we haven't we haven't won one of these opening games in five years and we've had some really good teams. So uh, my daughter uh, kindly brought that up in an interview with me. And, and uh, so we've tried to change the schedule around and look closely at what we're doing. Uh, clearly, we're not going to repeat um, the same schedule, but it's excitement because, you know, it's a new team. There's 20, 25 percent of the rosters different. We have different coaches. Um, and so it's your first impression, and, and I've always felt that's important. Awesome. Thank you so much, Sean. As Sigma Chi's, we share common values, experiences, and a lifelong commitment to our great fraternity. Choosing to be a life-loyal SIG is about supporting our fraternity today, a choice to help carry our incredible values and experiences into the future. Choosing to be a life-loyal is a small way to have a big impact because your annual giving at all levels funds all of the training and support provided to our young men. Our young brothers expect more of themselves and collectively as life loyal SIGs, we will help them deliver. Raise your hand and show your support for today's Sigma Chi, for today's young men and our collective work to expect more of Sigma Chi. Visit sigmachi.org slash life loyal and choose to be a life loyal SIG today. Thanks again to New Orleans Saints coach Sean Payton and the staff there in New Orleans. They were incredibly welcoming to our marketing and communications team when we visited their compound in September. Now, our discussion with best-selling author Mike Connolly. Mike is a graduate of the University of Florida, where he followed his brother as a member of Sigma Chi. He began his career as a journalist, working his way into a lead position covering crime for the Los Angeles Times. From there, his initial books on Detective Harry Bosch caught fire, and he is one of the premier authors in America. I sat down with Mike prior to his recognition as a significant SIG during the Los Angeles Sigma Chi Alumni Chapters Award Ceremony. First of all, congratulations on uh, being honored with the significant SIG, Thanks. Uh, SIG Award, uh, joining uh, quite an illustrious group of men from over the years here. Yeah, it's pretty cool. You know, I guess from, from entertainment and film and sports and business, and uh, it's really cool. Uh, I understand so you got a new, your new book's coming out October 22nd, correct? Yeah. Can you tell tell me a little bit about the, the Night Fire? Yeah, it's called The Night Fire, and it's uh, kind of a tour de force. It's got three of the, the three main characters I've been writing about for the last probably 15 years, Harry Bosch, of course. <clears throat> uh, the Lincoln lawyer, Mickey Holler, is in it. 
And then the latest character I've been writing about, Renee Ballard, she's in it as well. And so uh, the three of them kind of revolve around two different um, investigations, mostly uh, they're homicide investigations. And uh, mostly it's Ballard and Bosch working together. But at some point, Bosch needs uh, needs uh, Mickey Haller to be involved. When were you first uh, introduced to, to crime fiction and mystery writing? Um, my mother was always a big reader of crime fiction, so um, I re- <clears throat> excuse me, I read a lot of her cast off, not cast off, but, but hand-me-down books when I was in high school. But when I was in college at the University of Florida, um, I went to a dollar movie night and saw a Raymond Chandler adaptation of one of his books called um, The Long Goodbye. And I had never read him, and that made me, uh, I went right to the um, student union bookstore and bought what I could find of his stuff. And that really sent me down the path towards wanting to be a writer of crime fiction. Um, of course, I was doing some reading. And so you were uh, originally going to Florida to pursue construction, correct? Yeah, and construction engineering. And now instead of building houses, I build stories. That's what I always say. Um, but yeah, I mean, my father was in that business. I did it as a summer job type thing and always enjoyed it. An outdoor job for the most part. And um, <clears throat> so that's what I was pursuing. And it was tough. I wasn't doing that well. And um, uh, so when I discovered these books by Raymond Chandler and then a few other writers, I, I really kind of <clears throat> slipped down that path. When were you introduced to Sigma Chi at Florida? Well, it's interesting. I, I'm trying to gloss over what a bad student I was. So I went up for a year uh, and was in the uh, channel towards uh, construction engineering and doing very badly. And uh, <clears throat> so I was politely asked not to come back for a year. And so I um, dropped out for a year. And um, I had a brother who was one year younger than me. So in the year that I was off from school, he went to University of Florida and he joined Sigma Chi. So I came back a year later and he was already a brother in Sigma Chi. And said, you know, and I had heard the stories about how much he enjoyed it and so forth. And so uh, I tried out for it at that point. And uh, so even though my younger brother I mean, he was my younger brother, but he was my older brother in the house. Um, so oh, thanks to him, I got in. Uh, do you have any uh, memories or stories of that experience that kind of resonate with you? Um, yeah, I mean, I have lots of memories. I still have um, many friends from Sigma Chi um, that I'm still in touch with. Uh, pretty regularly go to uh, sporting events back at the school and, and meet up and uh, 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 tailgate with uh different Sigma Chi's and we all are on a text chain and, uh, uh, you know, and we get the flag points of where everyone's going to be, that kind of thing. Um, as far as specific events, I just, I did, you know, I remember being very, I was a spring class, so it was uh, very small. I think there was nine of us. And uh, so we were all pretty close and, um, you know, just going through all the things everybody goes through. Very nice. Um, so you graduated, uh, you know, and you pursued the career in journalism, and you were a crime beat writer, right? Daytona and then Fort Lauderdale, and then you came here to, to L.A. Um, how did those things early in your career kind of uh, – were there any inspiring moments in that journalism uh, part that helped inspire the, the creation of this Harry Bosch character in your, in your writing? Yeah, I mean, I – 
I decided when I was at school, I wanted to be a, uh, a novelist, but very specifically a crime novelist. And in conferring with my father, who I thought was going to be upset or disappointed that I wasn't going to follow him in his path, he was very uh, creative in thinking like, so how do you get into a position where you can actually try to write a crime novel? And he's the one who suggested I go down the path of journalism. So I would know detectives and I would be in police stations and I could be in courtrooms and so forth. So it was really good advice and that's what I did. And so all along I was I always knew Hopefully this is a waste point for me and, and you know the next move is to be a novelist. So I was always looking for the details that didn't go in a newspaper story but could go in a novel. You know, and I met some people that just flat out were inspiring, you know, that were um, very dedicated, very fierce. Some of them, you know, where this ties in with um, Sabre Kai, in my mind, is um, the, the cops that stood out to me, the detectives who stood out to me were the ones that were uh, very open-minded and, and very fair. That That's the, you know, the, like for example, Harry Bosch, if you, I really think, you know, his code is everybody counts or nobody counts. It's just basic fairness. And uh, I think those are some of the things I picked up when I was in, you know, Sigma Chi and, uh, and seeing other brothers and how they practice that kind of uh, uh, world outlook and um, ethic. And, you know, so then later on, I'd see it in some of the cops that I was dealing with. And, you know, so Harry Bosch is really comprised of many, many influences and many, many real people, you know, as well as fictional influences and so forth. Um, but that was the kind of stuff that I would pick up on and be inspired by. What was it like being a crime reporter in Los Angeles for the times in the late 80s and early 90s? There was a lot of stuff going on in the news then, but what was that like, uh, you know, being in the midst of that as a journalist? Well, there's a weird irony that, you know, when the chips are down or when there's a disaster or something bad's going on, that's like the reporters, that's their best story because it's so interesting. And and so uh, that particular time in LA's history is it's probably one of his darkest because it was so violent here. You know, the set the records for murders, um, so many to the point at the newspaper we couldn't write about them all. You know, we had to pick which murder gets coverage type thing, uh, which when you think about it is awful. But from the standpoint of being the writer and the reporter, it was like every day there was something uh, big or something interesting that was going on. Um, so it almost I look back on those years and it's almost like. I didn't have time to catch my breath. Your debut novel, novel uh, The Black Echo, came out in 1992. What were some things that you learned in those first first couple of books that, that uh, kind of were, were, was encouraging enough for you to, you know, to leave journalism and pursue just, you know, just writing, writing full time? Well, I mean, I wrote a couple of books uh, actually when I was still in Florida that never were published. They were kind of learning experiences. I had to write them. And then at some point I decided, before I try my third time, I want to shake up my life. I pretty much grew up in Florida, so I moved to the other side of the country. And that's when uh, the first book was written, The Black Echo, as you call it, said. Um, and, um, you know, you, you kind of take everything you've learned, uh, you know, uh, and, you know, it can be boiled down to what sounds like cliches and obvious stuff, but yeah, sometimes have to um, have some failures and so forth before you see the obvious stuff. And, you know, the main thing is about character. And, you know, I was a reporter, and so I had access to all this 
technology and crime procedure and all that kind of stuff. And it's important, but it's really window dressing. It's really about the character. And so that's when I started drawing on some of these things I had learned over the, the last decade or so since I was in college, you know, this, this idea of uh, being relentless and being, uh, but being fair. And, and these are aspects of character that we all want to be. And so I started realizing that, you know, 99.9% .9 of the people who read this book will never solve the murder. So it's a world alien to them, but they can, can connect on levels of fairness and levels of being good at what you do, no matter what you do, and being relentless and fierce and so forth. And so that was the learning process that eventually led me to having a first book get finally get published. Can we talk a little bit about, I wanna talk about what inspired you to move from, from the Bosch character you brought in Mickey Holler with the, the Lincoln Lawyer, and that was just such a, such a, just such an awesome, awesome book that became a, a great movie with Matthew McConaughey. Um, was it was it, was there a point where you just wanted to kind of make a change and do a legal novel, or was it? Um, it's all part of the you know the same world. There, there's some lawyers in my family. I've always been uh, fascinated by that. I, for some, I wasn't always covering police as a reporter. Sometimes they. You can get burned out covering crime. Uh, so what they would do is you'd normally shift you onto a court beat. So I'd spend a lot of time in courtrooms. And I'd always had it in the back of my mind that I would um, someday try to write a legal thriller. But it was intimidating because the people who were writing the big hit legal thrillers were real lawyers. And I wasn't a real lawyer. I was, you know, a reporter who had been in courtrooms, but not as a lawyer. And um, so I kind of never realized that goal or that dream for many years until I just luckily happened to meet a lawyer who told me he worked out of his car, not because he was a bad lawyer, but because that was the best way to do it in this, this city of 400 miles of freeways and uh, 40 courthouses and things like that. And I saw the light when he explained to me why he did it this way. And from there... You know, the light bulb was off, went off over on over my head, and I, I knew I had a story that um, I thought I could uh, could put together and be competitive with the stories written by real lawyers. Um, I want to talk about another character, uh, Terry McCaleb, and Clint Eastwood played him in, in, in Bloodwork. Uh, what was it like having Clint Eastwood uh, direct uh, something that you put together and play one of your characters? Um, all these things are just really kind of beyond words, even though it's supposedly a wordsmith. Um, you know, it's just amazing because, you know, Terry McHale is one character, but the character that, you know, brought me to the to the plate was Harry Bosch. And Harry Bosch is definitely uh, born of the influence of Dirty Harry, Clint Eastwood. So he's very iconic in my, my life and in my career and in influencing me. So... When I heard he wanted to play this character, it was like kind of like, well, where do I sign? And um, you know, it was with the films. I don't, I'm not that much involved. That's the way it is in Hollywood. They usually want, they want your book, but they don't want you. And so I didn't have a lot to do with that, and I only got to visit a few times. And um, but every time I did, he was such a uh, stand-up and welcoming guy. He was, uh, it was a great experience. And you know, and then. That's the first of any of my works to ever get filmed, and so it was a pretty amazing experience. Can you talk about uh, the TV series? And you know, obviously, we had you had we had the the, 
book on you know the Lincoln Lawyer was made to a movie. Uh, the you know, blow work was made to a movie. Was there, were there any opportunities for the Bosch series to to be a motion picture, or is it? Oh yeah, so, yeah. Oh yeah. I mean that, that it's like a, a long tragic story that turns out good in the end. I mean from the very beginning, those books were optioned um, for films and screenplays were written, and for like a decade. Multiple scripts were written and multiple efforts were to try to get it to become a film and they just eventually didn't happen and um, and then it goes through a period where it's just sitting on a shelf somewhere in the studio and uh, you know uh, I just bided my time and eventually I got the rights back and the world of TV had shifted or changed in that long period of waiting it was about 16 to 18 years and you know streaming came about and um, serialized storytelling and it was more novelistic than than films because films you basically have 120 minutes how can you capture harry bosch and all the stuff we're talking about about how it's character not action and all that that is primary over these other things how can you do do that in a 120 minute film you know so i by the time i got the control of everything back to me there was no choice but to try to get multiple episodes to try to explain this character so um, it was a long wait but then it finally I finally found the right place for it yeah just uh, talking about uh, you know the introduction of Renee Ballard in 2017 in the late show and you know it was a critically acclaimed novel how important was it for you to you know introduce this new character and further this series yeah, I mean, at this point in my writing life and what I'm doing with characters, um, she was like the perfect thing to come along. Um, you know, it's a new character. She's now working with Harry Bosch, and Harry Bosch is a guy who's been aging in real time since I, the first book came out 27 years ago or something. And so he's real, you know, I wanted to be realistic, so I wanted him to age in real time against a city that aged in real time. A very journalistic thing to do, I think, and and so now I'm paying the piper on that. He's kind of aging out, but I have Renee Ballard now, who's joining forces with him. So so he doesn't have to be front and center so much. Um, he can mentor her, he can advise her, and so I think it extends the life of Harry Bosch in terms of literary life. Um, you know, I can have him around for a while, even if it's a little bit in the background, uh, kind of propping up and helping uh, Renee. Is there uh, any bit of wisdom or advice that you would want to to give? Is there anything that you've learned throughout your career that you think, well, this would be something that a young Sigma Chi would, you know, if I was in this, the same the same shoes as a young Sigma Chi today, this is something I would like to like to know in the future. Well, I think um, you know, part of it comes from your parents, and some part of it comes from your experience, but. I somehow ended up with a, um, a pretty good work ethic, and I, you know, I think my parents had that, but I also think that was reinforced by Sigma Guy with with some of the ideals that they talked about and some of the experiences I had, and uh, you know, I, everything comes down it, even when you boil stuff down to it, it's short pieces of advice. It sounds like cliche, but cliches are cliches because they work, you know, and it's like it's hard work if you're going to do something going to be a writer then write don't talk about it or don't think about it um whatever we do in life you get better at it the more you do so so, so start doing it you know and uh you know pursue it um you know when you think of my background to think that i'm now 
writing about um, crime fiction and uh, legal thrillers in Los Angeles, you would have never believed it. You know, this this kid from South Florida. So um, so things can happen, but you you got to make them happen. You got to you got to push the envelope. Mike, we really appreciate you joining us on Sigma Chi Podcast. Uh, again, the Bosch TV series is on Amazon Prime, and the Nightfire hits bookshelves October 22nd. Thanks a lot for having me. Thank you, sir. Thank you to Mike Connolly for taking the time to meet with us. You can visit Mike online at michaelconnolly.com, on Twitter at Connolly Books, and Instagram at Michael Connolly Books. Lastly, I was honored to be a part of my own chapter's 50th anniversary celebration three weekends ago in Johnson City, Tennessee. The Zeta Omega chapter at East Tennessee State University marked our 50th anniversary on May 18, 2019, but we formally celebrated with more than 600 undergraduate and alumni members, chapter sweethearts, little sisters, wives, family, and guests over three days of events highlighted by a wonderful banquet with more than 500 people in attendance. We were pleased to welcome past Grand Consul Dick Hester, Foundation President Ashley Woods, himself a Zeta Omega alum, and honor two significant SIGs at the event. On Friday morning that weekend, uh, 22 members and three wives of Chapter Eternal Brothers from the Sigma Chi Alpha Colony there at ETSU were recognized in a special ceremony at the Chapter House, you know, marking the work they did to obtain uh, the charter for the Zeta Omega chapter. I was uh, honored to speak with Brother Barry Ferris, who accepted Zeta Omega's charter on May 18, 1969, as its inaugural consul. Um, we talked about the importance of this event and what it means to Brother Ferris and others to get back together and to, to honor the chapter and uh, recognize the special event and success of 50 years of Sigma Chi on campus at East Tennessee State. Barry, what's it like being back here with all the Alpha SIGs and celebrating 50 years of, of membership here at Zeta Omega? Well, first, it's wonderful to see everybody, and it's wonderful to know you're a part of starting something that's become so special. Sigma uh, Colonist Campus is big, and uh, it was, you know, starting out as a, a local was a little tough, but we got there, so it's re rewarding. What were some of the, uh, the key instrumental things that you guys did as alphas over those four to five years to earn a charter and to become official with Sigma Chi. I know things were a lot different back in the 60s. Well, uh, I think the first thing we had to do was integrate ourselves uh, with the academic leaders on campus, uh, the fraternity system, importantly the alumni, which were key for us here in Johnson City. Uh, and then we went had help from the Grand Praetor and get integrated with, the, I guess it was a Tennessee uh, group at that time, and um, just the support they gave us. And we kind of did have to keep our nose to the grindstone a little bit uh, to stay out of trouble, if you will, which we did. Um, I understand there's a really good story about the coupon books you guys did to, to raise money to, to pay for everything and to, to become official. Well, it may not seem like much now. But uh, we had to raise $2,600, and uh, we didn't know how we were going to do it. That was a stunning blob. And Tom Joins uh, created that book. We all went out and saw vendors in the city trying to get them to support us, which they did. Uh, and then we went to campus primarily and sold students on buying our coupon book. Uh, and it worked. We raised more than $2,600. And... Uh, Tom gets kudos because I think he sold about half of them as well. Uh, what's your recollection of the um, installation banquet in itself there? Uh, it was great. Gardner B. Allen uh, was our leader. I think we had four or five past um, 
grand consuls there. Uh, Baker was there, who was at the time the grand consul. And uh, we had numerous Johnson City Sigma Chi's there and really just continued to build a bond with them. And they were instrumental in making this house happen and things like that. So uh, this weekend, uh, getting to see a lot of the guys, and I know you've got to see them over the years, and you guys have done a remarkable job of staying in touch. I know uh, you know the last several events that we've had here every five years, it's always uh, made an impression on me as a younger alumni from Zeta Omega how tight the, the Alpha Sigs and how tight you guys are. And uh, uh, can you describe that, just, just staying in touch with these guys all these years? It's been, uh, you know, Sigma Chi's, huge part of my life it's all about the brotherhood uh the you know i've spoken at two of my best friend six funerals and did the sigma chi ceremony um these guys really are brothers i know you say that all the time but it's true and um i'm so proud of what the fraternity has been able to achieve and uh, you know there's been some rough times and they've turned it around the young president that just spoke it's pretty phenomenal what they're doing Thank you for listening to the Sigma Chi podcast. For more information on Sigma Chi, visit our new website, www.sigmachi.org, or visit us on Twitter and Instagram at Sigma Chi. Feedback or questions about this month's episode? Send comments via email to podcast at sigmachi.org.